0: Welcome to Here We Go, the Aberdeen FC podcast. Now, having personally vowed never to speak of the events on the pitch on Saturday ever again, I think that's probably the reason why I've been asked to host today, so hopefully uh, the other two on the call will be happy to do that for me. First of all, Martin Clunas, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Um, I hope my I hope my sarcastic tweet didn't make you feel like you had to host. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, 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 I've been felt... I felt under pressure as a consequence of that, Martin. So I think I think this is the the, the the best outcome to it in any event.
1: Just for the record, this podcast doesn't condone bullying. Just
0: <laughs> I feel suitably harassed. Um, and welcoming again, Richard Hayes. Richard, how are you doing?
2: Hello, hello. Uh, just singular. Hey, singular. By the way, there's two I, Martins, which really? is the singular hey.
0: Well, I've got it off to a stunning start. Um, <laughs>
2: Anyway, yeah, this you will find, by the way, is one of the key drawbacks of doing a podcast each week, that you do actually have to come back and talk about even the worst of games, the worst of Aberdeen performances.
0: Well, we will get to that in due course, but first of all, I thought it would be good to start the running order with a bit of breaking news as we're recording. Um, This is Monday evening right now, and earlier today, we finally got to the long-awaited club statement on their position regarding the proposed conference league invitation and they have confirmed that they have rejected it so uh, i'll maybe go to martin first you were quite vocal on our last recording saying that you you hoped uh supporters would use every avenue possible to uh, make it clear to the club what our view was in relation to that and it, it looks like they have uh taken taken the hint in relation to that, and it seems to our mind, at least, to be the right outcome, doesn't
1: it? Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, no, I was I was taken by surprise. Didn't expect that to come, that statement to come today. Uh, but delight, delighted that it did. Um, you know, uh, hopefully, ho- hopefully the club have kept. Cap- I mean, I'd like to think the club have kept with their senses themselves, and they didn't need the outside pressure. But if there has been outside pressure, then it's worked, and then credit to everybody who's done that. Um I think that no we we set out our stall pretty much last week um I thought the statement from the club was really um was really interesting where you know they they were looking for exploring other options such as um I think they used the term strategic partnership again, which I'm not a massive fan of that phrase, but there it was um with a, with another SPFL club um that's that's the that's the way to go for me. Um, you know we, we you know we find one club or maybe a couple of clubs where we start um you know maybe you know loaning players to you know slightly locally whether it's cove whether it's one of the angus clubs whether it's peterhead um and we, we'll look at doing something like that where you know if these if it's a part-time team then they can train whatever it is at uh, you know two nights a week or whatever it is you know one of these, these teams train and then they can come back and if they're allowed to, I mean, I'm not sure of the rules. If they're allowed to you know, be around the club, the club full time, that that be the preferential thing for me. That if we're going to send young players out, let's not them have them playing in some some nonsense league that's just been put together for the benefit of Celtic and Rangers Colts. Um, let's you know, let's do something a bit more. I think a more sensible and I think you no know, common sense has prevailed, um, and I'm, I was delighted with that statement today.
0: And Richard. Um... Along with that statement was a quote from Chief Executive Alan Burroughs, the, the last paragraph of which is also quoted in the, 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 the tweet that came out in the club, saying we will continue to push our best young talent to our first team as quickly as possible, along with using the loan market to provide player pathway experience, which has been impactful for the club over many years. So effectively what you're saying is it's kind of the, 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 the same procedure as as usual in terms of what we're already doing because we obviously have seen uh, the first team being an avenue currently for the likes of uh Ryan Duncan or Connor Bad in the previous year and and also the 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 the, the loan system being used as well uh, are you are you slightly a bit disappointed that there wasn't a little bit more for want of a better phrase blue sky thinking in relation to this or is there time for that in another day
2: I think it's a very difficult balance to strike because I think it's never an exact science for the young players. Um, I mean, Conor Barron went from uh, not even really been talked about within the first team squad to having that six-month loan away and coming back and featuring in the first team for the rest of that season. Now That's not a trajectory that you would have assumed would happen. Um, it's been very encouraging lately to see Ryan Duncan get minutes next step for him is to really start to impose himself on games more but again not everyone is going to be a calvin ramsey who just goes straight in at the deep end and takes to it like a duck to water there's going to be different development stages for different players and that has to be judged differently some of them will be able to cope in a first team environment right away some of them might need to spend some time in the highland league on loan or at lower league clubs on loan just to take up on martin's point I, i don't particularly agree with this idea of being a strategic partner I think they've also spoken about wanting to look at loan rules as it currently stands presumably with a with an idea of getting um, more than a couple of players at the same club now I would disagree with that because I think it's important that uh, the clubs in our lower leagues retain their own identity you know we're fighting hard to stop B teams cult teams, whatever it is polluting these lower leagues we want to we want to not have a situation where we have like official feeder clubs as well. I think it's really important to these clubs obtain their own identities and their own link with their home area. It was the right decision i don't you know that's absolutely but I think the right decision that was made by the club, even if it's not come from the same rationale that you or I might have used to make that decision. It was, however, very useful to get an insight into some of the other factors um, and an explanation of the decision-making process. I thought that was very clear and very well understood. Um, But we need to go further. If it does come to a vote, and as I said last week, I don't think there's any guarantee that this isn't just already a fait accompli and is going to just be happening, regardless of any vote at club level. But if it does come to a vote... I want my club to be voting against this prospect, this idea that clubs can be... um B-teams, Colt teams, whatever, can be parachuted in ahead of 200-odd other league clubs. Um, it, it is that idea that sticks in the throat for me. If, if, if it had been going in right at the bottom of the pyri- pyramid, for example, when the Highland League was, when the bottom rungs in the pyramid, when there wasn't that promotion relegation to the leagues beneath that, then you know I wouldn't necessarily have objected had the Highland League clubs themselves been up for it with Aberdeen putting a team in the Highland League if they felt that was best for our player development. But for me, the the real thing that sticks in my thought about these proposals is this idea that they're just being inserted. And I I really, I I struggle to understand the attraction. Definitely not for the Highland League clubs who are going to be part of this bastardised league, uh, but not even for the Lowland League clubs. I mean, you've had a couple of years of having these teams in your league already. You know there's no benefit in terms of crowd numbers or... You've only got the sort of bare, raw financial inducements that they've paid you, the bribe money that they've paid you to allow you in the league. That's really your only incentive. And it's um, it's just wrong. the, The whole concept of this as it stands is wrong. And I'm glad that my club are not a key part of it, but I do want them to go further. I do want them to stand up and vote against this as well
0: yeah you're right because it's one thing simply refusing an invitation to be involved with something like that but as 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 you've both pointed out this this whole idea of artificially inserting a tier right in the middle of the pyramid structure there's there's just a, a fundamental uh, aspect of that that really sticks in the craw um if anything i think you're being um overly generous in suggesting that um any b team should be coming in at the highland league stage for me the the precedent's already set and that the 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 starting point for any b teams currently in the structures in the north caledonia i league. said so that
2: Ler- i said that was before when the highland league was the bottom rung of a ladder before that they had that relegation and promotion to north caledonia league which has yeah. only come in um i think the last couple of years it's only come in so
0: yeah i would absolutely have them uh, enjoying the 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 likes of Claggan park and uh going from that point onwards if they really wanted to but i think in i think where we're all agreed is this idea of a a conference league just being stuck in the middle of the in, in the middle of the pyramid system is just is just wrong and i it would be good if at some point the club would go a step further and say that they are actually fundamentally opposed to that as a as a concept but time will tell whether they take that further step um so anyway that's the the, the news that came hot off the press um, will now go back into uh, maybe 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 for a hot final hot time the
2: for us. A... <laughs> hot off the press in the same way that updates from the Crimean War might be hot off the press. <laughs> well,
0: we're we're we're, we're going to move into something which is considerably less hot off the press, which is um, for a for a for a final opportunity in 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 this uh, what has been a, a glorious long weekend of remembering the. The Gothenburg greats and our achievements in 1983. Um, before before we get to some of the events that actually took place um, over over the last few days, uh, I thought it would be good maybe just to uh, take in, in, into account some of the uh, really good documentaries that were released on, on the day. Uh, a couple in particular that were uh, released in comp- a competing time slot at 10 o'clock on the Thursday evening. Uh, one of which came from BBC Scotland, which was Aberdeen eighty three once in a lifetime. The other one came on Sky. Theirs was Aberdeen, Gothenburg Glory in nineteen eighty three. Martin, did you get an opportunity to watch either both? Were you uh, sticking one on record while we were watching the other one? And and if so, what were your takeaways?
1: Yeah, well I was very lucky that I um managed to was one of the few that won the, the D one of the DNA competition that they were the club were running. Um, so I was at the the cinema premiere of uh, the the BBC one on Wednesday night, um, which they were both they were both excellent. I watched obviously I watched the the Sky one the next night. I thought they were both excellent, different ways. Obviously, you know the Sky, you know Sky didn't have any footage to show, but so it was just talking head stuff. But um, as Richard said on the feed, I would happily watch. I know I'm the same as Richard. I would happily listen to those guys reading the phone book. Uh, but the BBC one, um, yeah. I was, let's like say, I was very lucky. Managed to win some, win a couple of tickets, so got got to see it on the big screen at the cinema. Um, some of the some of the, play, the players were there as well. Um, it was really, you know, it was really, um, um really emotional. Um, I've got to say, um, look, I think they're gonna have to ban John Hewitt from talking in these things because that's that's t- to us twice. That was that was um, Thursday and Friday had me blubbing. Uh, so I don't I don't know if I can listen to John Hewitt being interviewed again when he's talking about Gothenburg he really he really had me <laughs> he really had the heartstrings going I was um kind get, of getting a bit emotional there um but they were like I said they're both very good the BBC won some interesting footage as well I, I don't think I've ever seen the touchline footage from the Bayern Munich game that they they should they used a little bit of as well for the for the third for third Aberdeen goal.
2: Yeah, it's a Grampian, it's a Grampian news cameras. There's, there's footage, yeah. footage on YouTube of the actual goal yeah. itself, but obviously they've, they've got some more footage of the game, which they've inserted yeah. in. Um, I think the footage of the goal was also used in the Fergie documentary. So.
1: Yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I thought it was a few little bits that I'd, no, I'd never seen before. Really interesting. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Um, one of the things I will add is um, there, there was nothing... Nothing no, the very no secret of anything that no that you wouldn't have known coming from the the premiere on Wednesday night. They did a wee Q and A afterwards. One thing it was really, really lovely to see just to be a fly on the wall. Um like Alex McLeish arrived there late. Um so that he didn't get they didn't get to see you know, each other before the game. And um, I believe that you no know, some of these guys haven't seen each other since before COVID. Um and seeing just seeing a lot of them interacting with each other is you no know, really nice. You no, know, we'll never We'll never get to be inside, you know, inside the, a proper glimpse inside the dressing room and see how they react when they're when they're all together. But you know, seeing these guys together, I you know McLeish coming up, you know, Jim Leighton, who is, you know, let's be honest, a bit a bit cantankerous, shall we say, at, at the best of times. You know, giving giving each other a big hug. Just seeing the, I suppose it's just seeing the love that these guys have for each other. It's. It was really lovely to see and just be a, a little bit of a fly in the wall as this is kind of you know happening in front of you. It was really wonderful to see. And for yourself,
0: Richard, you got a chance to take in both of the offerings. Uh, I think my own impression was, oh, oh I obviously didn't get the uh, the opportunity to see it in front of the big screen in the same way that Martin did, but uh, I did get a chance to look at both, and I do think while they were both really good in their own right, and as you say, the 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 the. The interviews with the players are always really worthwhile to get their reminiscences on what happened. I do, I do think the BBC obviously had the advantage of being able to rely upon some of the archive footage in their uh, offerings as well, and also a quite a compelling soundtrack that went along with that one as well, but um, your own thoughts on the two documentaries?
2: Yeah, I mean the production values on the BBC, um, independently produced BBC programme were substantially higher a bit of money had been spent on, on that programme as opposed to the to the Sky program. I mean Sky don't really do budgets for that sort of thing do they? Um so they won't they weren't gonna shower out on um, any of the footage. But the BBC, you know, went further than just reading its own archives to be fair. We've already spoken about the fact that they'd uh, used use some of the uh, Grampian news footage of the, the buy and goal the obviously the the uh, footage of the final has to be licensed as well um there was a goal from the run into the 19807980 uh, league title from parkhead which again was a, an stv thing so yeah throughout it just the the care and attention and the money that was being spent on screen was very noticeable so the sky uh the sky show really suffered in comparison to the bbc which which i think is a is a brilliantly done piece of documentary on on what is obviously a compelling story for anybody with Aberdeen at their heart. Uh, me being the pedant that I am, I couldn't help but notice when they were talking about that running in the 80 and talk about winning twice at Parkhead in the space of um, a couple of weeks that uh, they then proceeded the show to Walker McCall goals from October uh, from November 1980 so um, I don't know where that came from but it was of course two goals that the BBC had the footage for so maybe they only had a limited amount of budget to get uh, to get goals over STV um, so uh, but really when you're nitpicking to that degree and that's the only thing that you can have to say about a documentary like that then you know it's set an incredibly high bar and obviously the BBC one had John Hewitt has, yes, on a couple of occasions um, had a wobble on his voice when talking about the moment, about his his friend Neil, Um, but obviously to see Willie Miller, um, the usually unbreakable Willie Miller um, falter in the course of that BBC interview was, um, I I think, all the more poignant and, uh, again, just a... The way in which that was handled in that documentary was was very touching, I thought, as well.
0: Absolutely agree. And that really did set up the weekend of celebrations um, for the players and those involved themselves. They may well have had to be setting the tape recorders on for themselves as they would have been happily enjoying the gala dinner that was put on on their behalf that Thursday night. And then the following day, uh the the centerpiece of um the, the recognition for both Aberdeen FC and the Gothenburg Greats both uh being awarded freedom of the city uh, at an event that was held within Petaudrey Stadium on the Friday lunchtime. Um first of all in the order of proceedings there was the nice touch of presentation of UEFA medals, uh Duncan Fraser, obviously a previous board member at the club but who had went on to have involvement within UEFA as a mentor in their business scheme Um, so he was there along with Chris Gavin on behalf of AFC Heritage Trust to provide presentation of uh, what I think we all consider as long overdue medals to uh, those people who weren't involved in the the playing 16 on the day Um, and you could certainly tell that it it meant a lot I think in in particular I think one of the first players that was um, interviewed uh, by Rob McLean on the stage was Doug Bell and it really actually hit home to me just he, he started getting quite emotional at the prospect of getting a a, a, a winner's medal that day. And I think it, it really was a nice gesture. Uh and also with although there was obviously the likes of Teddy Scott, Dick Donald and Chris Anderson who who weren't there to receive their medals, they they're they, they, they were received by family members on their behalf. So overall just a, a, a really nice touch to to get proceedings underway.
1: I can't echo what you said enough there. No no richly deserved, it's long overdue, you know um no but like like we said last week, you know football's changed now where they get as many no, almost as many medals as they want um and it seems bizarre to think back you know to own... i mean okay, it's forty years ago to think back that you know that only the only this only the playing squad got their got medals that night um which is just which is just insane, but yeah, um all really 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 deserved i say i was going to was going to mention the same that doug bell. Just you know, here's a guy who, there's a guy who, if, if anybody deserved a medal for his contribution, you know, on the way to the final, it, it's him. Um, so yeah, he was delighted, and again, you've seen seen how emotional these guy get guys get about this. Um, you know, I know as as football fans, we can be we can be cynical at times, and you'll know, just be like, oh, it's all about when, it's all about this, but you know, to see what, to see how much it means to these players as well, um, really hits home.
0: And then following on for that, there was obviously the presentations of the Freedom of City, and that went to both Aberdeen FC as a club, but also to the Gothenburg Greats. And uh, uh, current chairman, Dave Cormack, uh, made a formal response on behalf of the club. Uh, and then it was aptly the captain himself, Willie Miller, that gave a response on behalf of the Gothenburg Greats. Um, he was ultimately able, able to overcome some absolutely bizarre interjections from a woman in the front of the uh, Dick Donald stand, um, which I'm really not entirely sure what was going on there. But um, in terms of the actual overall occasion, it was, it was a fantastic um, hour and a half or so, just to, again, just to continue to indulge in the celebrations and uh, the achievements that have been made by the club and by those players, Richard.
2: Yeah, clearly the the big thing was just seeing them all together again. And um, not all of them, clearly. Um, there'll always be one short now. But the very fact that for the past couple of anniversaries, not quite so significant as four zero, but for 35 and even for 30, um, th- that hasn't been the whole team there because there's been falling outs, there's been bitchiness about... Money is being paid out from the twenty-fifth uh, anniversary celebrations, uh, the testimonial match. About you know, should it be equally split between everybody, or should people who don't go to all the events get the same amount? And you know, to, to have had things like that to come between these guys, it's uh, it's life, I suppose. It happens, but I mean, maybe it took such a horrible event like Neil Cooper's death to make them realise that there were more important things and to have I think Gordon Strachan and Mark McGee who are obviously the two of that team who we have the most complicated uh, relationship with shall we say, to have them welcomed so lustily back in the fold that day was probably the, the key thing for me. Because let's be honest, the whole Freedom in the City thing is bollocks, isn't it? I mean, look then the list of people who have got that. And it's just, yeah, it's just an excuse for some counsellors to have a jolly. Um, the thing was, 40 years on from Gothenburg, and seeing that team, those players, back on stage together.
0: Absolutely. Um, what One other person who was missing in person um, was obviously Sir Alex Ferguson. I think he he probably took the view... I don't know how whether he thought getting Freedom City beforehand was a load of bollocks, but he, I think he'd clearly taken the view that, um, uh, having received that uh, uh, commendation already, that um, he would probably be able to give this one a miss. Um, hopefully, it doesn't mean anything too untoward in relation to his uh, ongoing health, but um, it was still good. He was able to put together a... Uh, a bit of a video compilation or not compilation, but a video recording uh, just uh, to be able to add his own contribution. But um, certainly with the the obvious exception of Neil Cooper, it was fantastic to see that everybody else who was able to make the journey and including Archie Knox as well uh, and and the rest of the squad were there. And um, I think it's also something that hopefully they'll all cherish going onwards. I think one or two did, maybe in a fatalistic way alluded to the fact that um, you don't want to rely upon uh, the fact that everybody will definitely be there for whenever the 50th anniversary is going to be as well, so um, definitely something that I think the players all very much uh, appreciated and and obviously all of the supporters who were there very much appreciated as well So, as I mentioned beforehand at the time of uh, the presentation of the UEFA medals one of the people that was on the stage was uh, Chris Gavin and Uh, given his uh, involvement with uh, Aberdeen Heritage Trust. uh, I think it was very apt that it was him that was involved in that. Um, But it also gave me a bit of inspiration in relation to uh, what I wanted to add as uh, our next part of the Northern Light uh, series of events. And in this occasion, I thought, what and i suppose also given the fact that richard had opened up the 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 possibility of inanimate objects being included in relation to this rather than just players and games um i thought what better thing to include in the northern lights than the northern light the original fanzine that was produced in aberdeen way back in the early 80s so given that uh chris Gavin was the one of, the, one of the founders and the original editor of the Northern Light, but is now involved with the AFC Heritage Trust, I thought where better to start than uh, an article, which is in the Heritage Trust on their website um, about the fanzine, which is, this is going back to April, 2014. And I thought I might just start with uh, speaking a little, a few words which have been inserted on, on the website about the Northern Light. For Aberdeen fans, the fanzine movement came to town when the northern light exploded onto the scene in a supernova of bile and rabble humor at the expense of any and all opposition. The mission statement, if anybody had bothered with one, might have been to burst the bubbles of pomposity. The first edition, complete with Flossie the sheep on the front cover, standing in front of a silhouette of Pataudry's Old Beach End, the sheep wore a red and white scarf on an otherwise monochrome page and that scarf was hand colored on every copy of that edition. Eventually something like a thousand copies found their way into the hands of the cognoscenti among the Petodri faithful. It was December 1987 when the rag first went on sale, not outside Petodri, but on the terraces of an away match against Celtic. It had been in the planning and preparation for quite a while. And since that was a bit before the sophistication of computer publishing technology, cut and pasted meant just that, with every photo, cartoon, and article cut to the size and shape required with scissors and pasted with a print stick onto A4 pages, something like a gummy jigsaw puzzle. From humble beginnings, the fanzine boomed in popularity and it was usual for maybe 4,500 copies to be sold before a home match, with the biggest problem being the logistics of getting the copies into the sellers. It was an era when fanzines were springing up everywhere and the interest among fans was huge. It was easy to come up with wild and wacky ideas for poking fun at the opposition, the press, the football authorities, and even people at the club itself. There was a mixture of bitter criticism and constructive suggestions scattered amongst the cartoons and pontification by the punters for the punters unsurprisingly a lot of creative fans came forward to contribute to the pages and some of them have since moved on to well-known uh, activities in other commercial press gutter or otherwise other groups also had a stab at setting up their own publications but these have tended to be one-off affairs the northern light itself ran for only 27 editions sped over about four years before it decided to end while it was on the top of its game. Now, obviously, the Red Final, which I wrote for, ended up preceding that, coming onto the streets in 1996. Um, but when I first got involved with that, that was probably at about an age as a late teenager when I was just about um, able to pass for getting hold of a copy from somebody who was selling on the street. But I remember I first started going to games in... 1990, right in the middle of the run of the Northern Lights. And I remember at that age, as being a a, a very young teenager, this was a kind of illicit contraband that um, you heard rumors of people speaking about it and going in the game. You saw rolled up copies of it scrumpled in people's pockets in the game. And it was the kind of thing that you just couldn't wait to slyly get a peek into. And um as you grew older you started to kind of get a a bit of a better idea for what exactly was contained in those pages but for me it was a great inspiration for the, the the kind of thing which gave supporters a real outlet to be able to vent their opinions in a way that um just wasn't possible in those days i mean we take for granted now the ability to later be able to post on blogs about the club or nowadays be able to go on social media and talk about that but um uh back in back in the day it really was pioneering to have something um as was said in the article something by the punters for the punters um the fanzine game gave me my first break and gave me an opportunity to be able to write about the club and what i felt about it others have you know, far far more distinguished than myself. Mark, Michael Grant, a, a regular contributor in the show, is involved with that as well. But um, for for me, it was a fantastic outlet to be able to write in the the latter red final, and it was certainly fantastic to be able to read about it beforehand. Martin, Richard, any particular thoughts for yourselves in relation to the fanzine scene and how it impacted you guys?
2: Well, uh, it's no secret that uh, TNL is a touchstone for how we've tried and I say tried to approach this podcast Uh, but of course we're lacking the talent or intelligence to really pull it off with the same elan that they managed. Um, You have to understand and I think you touched upon it the landscape that it was introduced into to read something that was uh, both critical of the club really passionate about the club but also funny as fuck, (laughs) where it's truly transformative from what was available. Because basically you had the newspapers and that was it. So you had on a day-to-day basis, and I say day-to-day because it didn't always feature Aberdeen news uh, every single day of the week, but you had the local papers, the Press and Journal the Evening Express, and then... At the weekend, you had the papers that would uh, discuss the games, and that really was it. You maybe had a teletext page if you were lucky, maybe the occasional reader letter if you got past the gatekeeper of whoever was editing the letters pages in the green final. But it it hit me just at the right time. I suppose it would have been I would have been eleven or twelve when it first came out, but when it got into its stride, it really was properly transformative for me, and. Clearly, what a collection of talents! I mean, I can still uh, recall some of the articles from um, from various editions. I mean, you've got Ali Ross, obviously, who's uh, who went on to. Um, work for a newspaper that we shouldn't speak about. I remember the Fairy Hill Oracle's uh, diaries, every uh, every edition being a must-read. And then you've got the twin cartoon threats of uh, Gordon Reed and uh, Geo. At, I'll say this wrong, Geo. so my apologies in advance, uh, Alzo Piety. And both of them, on their own, would have been an amazing addition to any fanzine, any publication for the Red Final, uh, not the Red Final, for the Northern Light to be able to boast both of them. Um, because, of course, they actually ended up uh, at two, uh, two separate splinter fanzines afterwards. Um, but for the Red Final to be able to boast... No, I've done it again. For the Northern Light to be able to boast both of them, uh, it, it just speaks to the quality it was in those pages.
1: Yeah, I can't echo that. can't echo what Richard says enough there. No, I came I came late to it, to be honest. Obviously, being a, a little, little younger than... He's a lot younger than Richard, so uh, my 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 entry entry to fanzines was was with the Red Final, um, but I was lucky enough to have an uncle who you know kept kept all the back issues and things like that. So I was able to look back and see some of the stuff. I don't know. I should really check and see if he, if he has any of them sit still sitting in the loft somewhere. See if I can see if I can raid them from him. Um, but luckily, I was lucky enough to have Uncle Steve who did that. Um, got to see him and go back and go back and read some of the stuff. And like what she says there, you know, it it sets the kind of the template for it's a, it was a, it set the template for a, fan, a lot of fan media going forward because, like I say, you say, know, you you very rarely got got to hear a critical voice, um, about about the club, you know, other than listening to people on the terraces or you know if you were able to go to the pub with your dad or whoever after the game.
2: But it, its point wasn't just in its criticism, though. It We'd give out praise where it was needed. Well, yeah. um, and, you know, the, the, they love Willie Miller. That was about it, though. That was about the only yeah. person who got unreserved <laughs> praise. But I think that idea, that viewpoint of being at arm's length from the club but deeply yeah. passionate about it is is the thing which we've taken. I've tried, anyway, to take most from um, the, the Northern Light.
0: Hopefully excellent memories for other people of our vintage who are now in an area where we can happily enjoy listening to a podcast about Aberdeen while we go about our our daily routines but obviously um back in the day I think the Northern Light was the fanzine that is the the basis for any for running certainly any 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 fanzines that came afterwards but also a lot of fan engagement to be that as a blogs podcasts or otherwise I think that really was the foundational stone upon which um a, a, a lot of those things um followed on from and as i say from a personal perspective the the main reason it came to mind was seeing chris gavin getting his moment in the limelight being able to hand out those uh additional winners memble, mem- medals to uh the remaining members of the Gothenburg greats um i think it's very apt when Richard was talking about, you know, being able to be involved with something at arm's length in the club, I think it's kind of come full circle with him as well, He having been at a point where he was very very, very much the opposite of that, where he had a foot in both camps as being the first uh, fans representative uh, on on the board as a non-executive director um, but with his involvement with the Heritage Trust, I think we're back in a situation where he, you know, the Heritage Trust does run independently of the club, but it's a good example there of a situation where um they can work behind the scenes in conjunction with the club to affect an actual substantive result um and uh, i think that would be a moment that was obviously uh will obviously be treasured by those that were presented with uefa medals last friday but i'm sure will be treasured by chris himself so fantastic to see that so moving onwards from friday we then go on to saturday now um we will we will go to what went so well before 3 p.m. First of all, um, there was uh, a couple of um, events that took place just before kickoff. There was a commemorative plaque revealed outside the main stand in honor of the Gothenburg Greats. I don't know whether anybody got a chance to go along and see its unveiling. If there was a minor criticism, by the time I got along there, I, I was with a, a friend and his younger son and. Um, it would have been nice if there'd been a little bit of forethought because once you had a uh, the, the, a clamoring throng of supporters gathering around to see the unveiling of the plaque, and uh, again, and the the vast majority of the Gothenburg greats were out there again to 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 be there for when the the plaque was unveiled. But given that they were at uh, level with the the rest of the fans, once if you weren't in the immediate few rows, I think it was actually incredibly difficult to actually see any of them from a distance. But um, in terms of the pack itself it's it's absolutely beautiful black granite and and, and gold engraved and um it really is a a, a fitting a, a fixture to be adorned to the side of the main stand and then as for the game itself uh there was the the tifo display in the rds and the banner put up at the red shed not long after the players came out um uh, at two forty five to get their their final bit of Gothenburg acclaim for the Gothenburg Forty celebrations. Um, I find myself f- rarely in the RDS uh, at the the basically the the very upper of the upper deck for that. So I actually find myself part of the uh, RDS display in this event. But um, Martin, you you from your vantage point in the South Stand, how did how did both look to you?
1: Absolute kudos to everybody
0: involved um, with
1: with with the displays. No. Um... The banner and the, the Merkland was, ju- was just excellent. You no, know, it's something. Not something we've no, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that um, in the stand. You know, obviously being being you no. Know, what's the word hoisted? Is that the word? Up a pulley or something? I'd go with um, hoisted. Hoisted, yeah. We'll go with that pulley. That's not even that's not a word. <laughs> Um word. Yeah, the, the, excellent. I mean, no. I c- can't credit. Can't credit the guys involved enough. Uh, you no, know, a fit fitting tribute. Um, for for the for the scale of what they've done, you know, being able to been able to do something like that, um, really, you know, like I say, can't credit them enough. they both both were both were excellent. Um, just want to say, Martin, if 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 you couldn't see the plaque outside, nobody stood <laughs> a chance. So you're like the tallest Absolutely. person I know. Um, so uh, that's, that's, that, that must have been busy.
0: Very busy indeed. Um, so ev- the stage was set. Um, as I say, the Gothenburg Greats got their final big send off before kickoff, and then the game happened. Uh, Richard, the the first half, it was all hibs um, pretty much for the entirety of the 45 minutes. Um, and on the Here We Go Twitter feed, you, you made mention of the fact that it was really a, a case of being tactically outthought in this game. They came out with a 4 1 4 1 formation. Uh, managed to put pressure on our defence. Managed to put pressure on the midfielders in possession. And um, when they were in possession, they just gave us a torrid time. In in in, in particular, poor Hayden Coulson trying to deal with uh, uh, Yuan on the left hand, or what well, their left hand flank, but his right hand flank. Um, just nothing went right that first five minutes, did it?
2: It was really disappointing. I mean, he was. Bobby Robson was essentially out-coached by Lee Johnson, and Lee Johnson hasn't outcoached many managers this season in the league. Um, just really, really thankful that we got a point out of that game, because it was completely undeserved in the balance of play, and he's created some really excellent opportunities. I think the, the striking thing when you're watching back the highlights is <clears throat> not only that of a five-minute highlight package on the SPFL YouTube channel. There's not a single Aberdeen attack shown, which is fair, entirely fair. But the the amount of time and space that some of their wide players get to put the ball into the box as well is really disappointing. Everything about our performance broke down. Um, Recall a couple of weeks ago talking about the first half of uh, the game against the Rangers and how in the first half, the press really wasn't working very well at all. But in the second half, we corrected that. We got men further forward we got onto their full backs got onto their back line didn't manage to get that going at all on saturday they had unchallenged possession in all areas of the park and it really was just a succession of last gasp challenges over the 90 minutes i think there were three or four blocks of goal bound efforts <clears throat> uh legal blocks uh, one magnificent illegal block as well, which absolutely mm. saves a goal. And uh, a number of fine saves by Kelerus, which um, kept it scoreless. Incredibly lucky to get away with a point. And, you know, in terms of the raw numbers, the fact that we're still five points clear of now just with three games to go in uh, third place and still six points clear of Hibbs, it probably increases the chance of us finishing third. Certainly... Five thirty-eight, five thirty-eight. Seem to think so. That we've gone from seventy-nine to eighty-five percent on their fingers in the air about who's going to finish third. But for me, clearly, the worry is the level of that performance. Because if we repeat that over the next three games, we ain't picking up another point, or we'll be exceptionally lucky to pick up another point. It a, a real head scratcher, a real worry. And I think as well, the lack of alteration from Barry Robson during that 19 minutes. <clears throat> if your system is getting overrun to the extent that ours was, I can kind of understand him giving his team whilst it was still nil-nil the entire first half. Because you want to give the game time to settle down, to bed in. You want to give your players the opportunity to win their individual battles and start pushing the opponent opposition back then maybe I can allow for 10 15 minutes at the start of the second half to see if any of the sort of messages he was getting through to his team were actually making any impact but to have that formation stay the same for the entire match a real head-scratcher uh, for there only to be posi- uh, personnel changes and I think we need to talk about this personnel changes because again we could be looking at a significant injury for a key player we've actually been fairly fortunate with injuries this year you know compare our current injury list to to those of hearts and Hibbs, and we've got nothing really to whinge about in terms of missing players but you consider what came off the bench and how infrequently those guys have contributed um it it says a great deal about how robson's been so reliant on a core group of players it's uh a really worrying performance on Saturday. I I hope Robson in his post match breeziness about how yep we were we were poor but we'll be better next week. I I sincerely hope he's right because um yeah danger signs definitely um, ringing all over after that display.
0: Absolutely, and uh, Martin. As Richard has alluded to, um, I was talking about how terrible a performance was in the in, in the first 45 minutes. The the performance didn't really get any better in the second half, but there were at least a few more uh, incidents that we can talk about in the second half, and um, I had an opportunity a while ago to have a rant about how terrible a decision the Graham Shinney sending off was at Ross County. Um, fast forward a few weeks. Um, Luke, Campbell comes in with a six-foot-high boot to Liam Scales, uh, manages to clash into him, uh, catches him in his thigh in the way had down. The referee has a look at it, considers it for a while, whether he had somebody in his ear or not before he decided to ultimately uh, move away from the top pocket for his red card and eventually to his bottom rear pocket to take out a yellow card. Um, but it was VAR reviewed, but the referee wasn't asked to go back and review his decision. Thoughts? Well,
1: I, uh, I don't know if I can really be bothered going, you no, know, going in knee high on on VAR again. <laughs> um, the simple fact is that if that's if that's not a red card, I don't know what it is. No, we talk about we talk about, you talk about endangering an opponent. Uh, you know, I, I I fail to see. You know how that isn't endanger how that isn't endangering opponent. We've seen you know over the years challenges like that be punished um, and be you no know, be straight red cars across not not just in Scottish football but across European football. You know there's been challenges similar to that where they're like absolutely stick on no no there's never mind but you, know, you can talk about oh he wasn't looking or he was he was looking away or he's looking at the ball or something that is endangering an opponent. It's like and for for. For him not for him not to give a red, in the first instance. No, firstly, well, what is the referee looking at? You know, he, if he's he must he must see that he must see how high the ball is. As you say, it wasn't just, it wasn't just no. He did, there was just one back one back contact. He catched him twice. So where's you no know, where's that? And then as you as mentioned, no VR doesn't ask the referee to review it, so it sticks a yellow. I mean, you know. They've got, something's got to be, something's got to be I mean, that, that needs to be looked at, you know, that needs to be, if the, there needs to be an, inv- something done, that has to, they have to upgrade that to a, a red card, you know, if you can look at that, because that was an obscene challenge. And it's, it isn't just, it isn't just a, a dangerous challenge. It's a kind of challenge that, you know, somebody could be, you know, if you know, thankfully scales is okay, but that's the sort of thing that, you know, could b- break, rib- break ribs, Put somebody out for weeks and weeks. You know, we've got you know, At that point, we had three and a half games left of the season, um, and it was an absolutely obscene challenge. And you know, for for it not to be for it not to be looked at. I mean, it's. I guess it's we, we talk about VR. It's like how VR and you know it functions within the game is perhaps something that needs to be looked at where they should be. You know, that should be a, an immediate you no know, stoppage, and they should be looking at that and telling the referee you need to you need to look at this because this is a red card for, for somebody to be sitting and not think that's a red card. It's insane. And then, you know, I just, I just, I just don't understand this. And, um, you know, I was, I I caught a little bit of, before we're doing this, I caught a little bit of Monday night football tonight and they had um, Howard Webb on. They allowed us to hear some of the, some of the audio, um, from some of the high profile English incidents that have happened this season and within the last few weeks. Would love to hear the audio from Saturday to see what you know, what was said between um, the v, the video assistant referee and the ref. Because you know, if if they if they can't come to the conclusion or though they can't tell him in his ear that that's a red card, then I don't see what the point of having it is.
2: But there shouldn't have been any need to involve VAR on Saturday. It looked a clear red card in real time. The only consideration I thought, but from my vantage point. Which is obviously a good distance away from the incident in the RDS. The only consideration I thought was, oh, has has he slipped there, and has that caused the collision, the coming together? No, no, he hasn't. It's it's a red it looked a red card in real time. It looks a red card with every single replay. You know, Martin is absolutely correct to highlight the endanger uh, the endangering the safety of an opponent line because that's. That's what it says in the laws of the game. Attack or challenge that endangers the safety of an opponent. It's as clear as that. That's a red card offence. That is serious foul play. And um, did that endanger the safety of Liam Scales? Absolutely. Is it more dangerous than the shinny one from a few weeks ago? Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> it's just bizarre to me the sequence of events that goes first of all with the referee referee not believing in real time that that's a red card and then secondly when you have someone sat watching that in a TV studio that you have two separate officials can watch that and conclude separately and then together that that's not a red card <laughs> it's bewildering now Who's to say what impact that might have had on the course of the game? We were really under the cosh when it was 11 v 11. Um, you'd like to think we've have, we've have got more of a foothold 11 v 10, but there's no guarantee whatsoever. Um, so you know, I'm not here trying to get players sent off for for nothing. But this was this was a bad challenge. It's not malicious. He's overreaching, going for the ball. I understand why it happened, but it was misjudged. It was stupid. And it was a clear red card and it it didn't, we shouldn't be talking about VAR here because this is on the referee's initial verdict that he he gets this one so, so wrong.
0: Do you buy into the speculation of some of the fans that watched the event unfurl, especially from the main stand where they got the impression that Nick Walsh was reaching for his top pocket to get a red card out, but that there might have been some messaging going on from, up, well, I say upstairs, but from wherever, wherever they park the VAR units that maybe asked him to take
2: a, that's, a, another That's definitely not to... how it should work. That's all well, I can say absolutely on that. Not. That's absolutely not how it should work. Um, so, you know, if the, if the video suggests that, then I would hope the club are having a, a word in the shell of uh, the SFA refereeing department if, if that's what the footage suggests, but it it shouldn't work that way. Um, but he was obviously he gave himself time to make a decision, allowed treatment. I I have to question the severity of any injury that the hips player suffered. To be honest, I think it was one of those where you go down and feign injury to uh, try and avoid um, getting the sanction that you actually deserve. He's just called it wrong. He's just called it wrong and the backup that VAR should be has has failed. But the onus here is on the referee because uh, how you can see that in real time and consider it anything other than the red card is is beyond me.
0: To put some final context on that, a decision so bad that even Stuart Dougal on the Vardict today said that VAR should have been reviewing that decision.
2: Okay, so he's he's actually gone against uh, what what was actually decided at the time. It's the first
0: time I can remember it happening. That was the first,
2: frankly, the only um, point of that show up to now has been to to show the world Asta Lamont's uh, top knot, which was which is misguided (laughs) to say the least.
0: He he, 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 he was obviously uh, trying to rapidly get back to the studio after his stellar performance from Moldova in the Eurovision Song Contest that weekend. A reference for anyone that watches you. I'll take your right word weekend? for that. <laughs> um, moving on. Uh, uh, Martin, I know that Richard was uh, touching upon this earlier in, in relation to um, some of the worrying uh, substitutions which were forced upon us and maybe suggesting a, a what is now beginning to look like a, a, a real stretching of the resources which are available to Barry Robson, particularly with a view to Timecastle Castle next Saturday so we started obviously the match without uh, Graham Shinney who's still uh, serving his four match suspension and he won't be available next Saturday either uh, Ross McCrory is as well known has underwent uh, surgery and while there is some speculation with regards to whether he may be available later on in the season um, there's certainly no guarantee of that being um, or of him being available as soon as next saturday either uh, and then during the course of the game the 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 triple crown as it were of um uh losing three really significant players duke pulling up with what really looked like a a, a bad hamstring issue we, we we hope it isn't as serious as what it looked um but it can only be worrying in relation to what we have available to us for for, for next week uh, i think we ended the game on Saturday, with a, a front three of Marley Watkins, Mark Andy, and uh, Shaden Morris, um, I don't fancy our chances with some of the some of that striking talent going.
1: Uh, no, <laughs> not, not at all. Um, yeah, um, obviously, yeah, like you say, um going to be missing at least on Saturday. No, I think I think I read that. No, it's one of those maybe, possibly. Things about McCrory that he might be okay, so it's maybe possibly in might that he would be he could play against St. Mirren, so he's he's pretty much he's going to be out as well. And then obviously, the star man himself, uh, Duke, you know, hopefully, you know, and it looks like it looks like a hamstring injury, obviously, kind of limped off. Um, It's been you know, it's been quiet today in terms of anything from from the club that I've that I've seen, obviously there's kind of, you know, the paper talk about, you know, oh, there, there are fears of, what is it? Fears and all this kind of stuff, uh, but we just don't know. Uh, but it is, a, but it is a real worry. Um, and as you, as you say that, you know, Richard points that out and as you, as you add to, you know, you're bringing on, you know, Mark and Day, Morrison, Watkins. Um, it is a, it is very, very concerning. Um, so you just we just have to hope that that you know it's it's not as serious as he feared and it was maybe just precautionary, uh, but as we mentioned earlier, you know we, we, we played the whole game without a tactical change, um, so eh, it wasn't like he was being taken off. You no know, precaution. You no, know, if he was taken off precaution, it wasn't being taken off, and we could change the change the formation and do something different. It was just it stayed the way it stayed. Um, and with us being under pressure, um, so I am really worried. Um, we just have to hope that it's going to be good news from coming from the club. Um, with The bit of luck, you know, he'll be okay, and we can play him on Saturday, and we can get a positive result. But um, rest of the season, though, we've got we've got two the two two massive games coming up um, in the space of a few days. Obviously, Hearts and Hearts at St Mirren, and, and you know you look how you look how thin the squad is it's kind of been highlighted obviously with the two injuries that you sorry, the suspension and the injury injury with um McCurry's operation. The squad's pretty thin. Um, so I don't think we can really afford to have any more guys missing, you know you, you said earlier as well Coulson really struggled. Um so that's that's a concern as well. Richardson the lesser spotted Richardson he came on. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's you know, that's a worry as well. We're going to be we're light there. Um, so I'm no I'm you no know, really really worried going for going forward, particularly ahead of Saturday. Um, but in saying that, it you know half past one and not half us one. It's an early kick off, isn't it? At Eleven o'clock on Saturday when the team line comes out and we find out that Duke's starting and, and it was all just a it was all just a swerve all along from Barry Robson. Then I'll be. I'll be doing well. I'll be as close to doing cartwheels as my old man frame will allow.
0: Richard, moving on to the other VAR talking point of the second half. And um, ironically enough, we're now going to look at a situation. This was the situation that we were always told was going to be where VAR came into its own correcting an obvious error on the pitch. And in fairness, I don't think there can be any argument that it did make the 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 right decision was made in in, in this one um Aberdeen had continued to fall under real pressure from Hibs um there was a, a shot on the edge of the box from Harry McCurdy the volley it does appear as if it was going goal bound um Hayden Coulson has his has his arm raised it's pinged off his elbow and that's been enough to divert it onto the post but ironically enough, while you would be, I, I remember seeing in the highlights, I think uh, Dave Martindale was being really critical of one of his own players for leaving his arm up in a position where such a decision could go against him. But if anything, that's probably saved Aberdeen because um, it does look like the ball's going in the back of the net if that hasn't been diverted by the elbow. And then upsteps steps Kel Roos, literally upsteps steps Kel Roos in Nisbet's face before he takes the penalty. And then managing to get his legs in front of the ensuing penalty shot. So, uh, serendipitous perhaps on our behalf?
2: Yeah, well, let's let's start this conversation by, you know, we, we talked about the letter of law when it came to uh, Campbell's uh, challenge. Let's start this for a conversation about uh, Hayden Coulson's avoiding a red card when he, it's a sending off offence if... Uh, a player denies the opposing team a goal or an obvious goal-scoring opportunity by a handball offence, and there's no question that that's exactly what Hayden Coulson did. Um, users of Instagram will have noted Callerus's uh, story, uh, a picture of uh, him and Hayden Coulson fist bumping, with the caption "Great double save," um, <coughs> because it, it was it was more impressive uh, than even a lot of the stops that Callerus pulled off, and it. Those sometimes can be the margins, because as much as it was a dismal performance, it could very well be a hugely important point. And I think, you know, rather than not just the, the gap over Hearts maintaining at five, which, yeah, clearly we would have hoped to win on Saturday, but I bet you Hearts had hoped to win on Saturday as well. If they were targeting finishing above us, they would have looked at the game at Paisley and thought, we have to win that. So, you know, I don't think that they are in a great, a far greater position now than they were before Saturday. But the important part, I think, from Saturday is keeping Hibs six points behind and therefore, given their run-in, pretty unlikely to um, pick up six points over the next couple of games. However, um, yeah, Coulson, very lucky to avoid being sent off. Then Calarus gave credit to the um, to the analyst team post-match, um, the brother and sister team. Um, obviously, any professional team worth its salt does a bit of ha- homework on the opposition penalty takers and where they're likely to strike it. And clearly the advice um, for Kevin Nisbet was to say, stay central as long as possible and it, it worked out very well. It was not a good penalty kick, um, Didn't deal with the pressure. Didn't deal with the delay before taking it terribly well. Um, I'm always fairly sceptical about these. uh, About whether he actually got inside. Whether Calabrese's antics got inside. um, Kevin's David Page would do a good,
0: a good old fashioned bit of shit (laughs) But
2: whatever it was, it worked. It was a, it was a pretty half hearted penalty kick. Still needed saved, and um, yeah, the biggest roar of the afternoon, frankly. Again, you would hope that from that we could have mounted some kind of attacking platform, attacking foothold, but even after that, it was still Hibs on top, still Hibs with the chances, but very, very fortunate within that incident not to lose a man and go down to 10 men for the last quarter of, our, quarter of an hour, and obviously not to lose a goal, and by extension the game.
0: Yeah, sadly, nothing further really came of the game from our perspective. Um, again, I think it was noted on the here-we-go feed that we didn't get an attempt on goal until five minutes of injury time. And I think that was Ramadani forcing a save from a shot outside the box, and, and that was the sum total of our goal threat on the day. But but Martin, Barry Robson was pretty upfront in his assessment after the match. He accepted it was a poor performance. Arguably, that's the worst performance we've seen under his aberdeen team but he's 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 right isn't he in saying that that's not a bad result for us on it on a on a day where um the, the the two other contenders for the the remaining european spots they do with each other as well and from our perspective we're the team with the five point advantage um and it probably does us pretty well just getting another set of games out of the road and maintaining that lead
1: you know, obviously, you obviously you want to win the game. Want to win the game, but you know, it's just it's another game down. You know, we've not lost anything. We've not no 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 teams have gained any ground on us. Um, and you no, know, Robson's right at the end of the game. Look, you no, know, he's 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 fairly straight talking. Um, you know, and he knows it wasn't a, he knows it wasn't a great performance. Um, but like I say, hearts hearts couldn't take advantage. It stays at it stays at five points. Um, you know. It was a it was a poor perform a really poor performance, but um, you know if we if, it, if we get there then you could still you could say, it, say it, we'll probably be talking about it when we do you know when if we do a season review we'll talk about this as you know you play one of these you know you play badly um, and you still get something out the game kind of performances no I don't think anybody's gonna well the, the pretty much stuff might make it on a DVD at some point or some sort of Netflix kind of nonsense but. Um, we won't be watching any. Well, I doubt We'll be watching much of this. Much of this game back in the future. It's not one we're going to talk about because it was a. It was a. It was a really awful performance from us. But you know, we kind of. You no, know, we we got we got a point out of it, as you, as you say, Martin. It's you no, know, it's done now. Probably best just never speak of it again. It had a
0: real feel of Park Red when we lifted the League Cup. I think yeah. the actual the actual occasion was absolutely fantastic, but no one's ever ever going to go back and watch any of the footage from that game ever again. Um, anyway, on to Tynecastle next Saturday, and um, it's another sellout of the way occasion. Although of, of the way allocation, sorry, um, unfortunately, is a shame that there's only six hundred dandies that are going to get the opportunity to be there on the day, but. Richard, we're in a similar situation again to what we've just been talking about. Um, obviously, a win would be the ideal outcome. It would assure third place with a couple of games to go. But once again, realistically, a draw would not be a bad outcome for us. So um, it comes back to, I think we were discussing this last week, it, it puts Robson into a bit of conundrum with regards to how he how should actually approach this game. Um, if you if you were given the opportunity to give some words of advice, how how, how would you be approaching it
2: well it, there shouldn't really be a conundrum about how to approach it because I think you've still got to go for a win at all points I, I you know I think he can be a little bit circumspect about it and clearly his success over the last few weeks has been built as you know the the, the fact that we got a point on on Saturday at all um, it's built on a defence who are really prepared to put the hard yards in and really prepared to go that extra inch to get a challenge and get a block in because there were lots of examples of that on Saturday and I can't help but thinking that that performance allied to a defending and... The lack of wholeheartedness, I think, we saw in the defending earlier this season would have led to quite a heavy home defeat, if that had been under Jim Goodwin. So so that's definitely one positive characteristic, which Bairrobson can claim to have instilled in the team. So I think we'll still be difficult to score against, as we were indeed the week before at Ibrox. So I think that will stand us in good stead. And I think, again, the performance at Ibrox showed we can be a half-decent counter-attacking team. I hope we're not solely reliant on counter-attacking, because frankly... And this has definitely the potential to bite me on the arse. But I don't think Hearts are all that much, quite frankly. Um, they beat us 5-0 at Tynecastle. Castle. Even that game was, by the balance of opportunities, relatively even. Um, as ridiculous as that is to say, when you've lost 5-0. But Hibbs, for example, the week after that, properly tore us apart at Easter Road, as they did at the weekend, to be honest with you. Whereas Hearts this year, home games, we've we've had the better of it. And we had that thumping down at Tankhouse earlier. But, I, I you know, I, I don't believe there's much there. I think it's a game that we should relish. It's an opportunity to put them out of the race completely with a victory. By Robson, uh, the quotes today again from, uh, from post-match on Saturday, the pressure's on hearts, and it absolutely is. They have to win. They absolutely have to win. I mean, mathematically, they don't... Arithmetically, they don't have to win, but realistically, they have to win. And then... They have to rely, presumably, on us not beating St Mirren or them getting a result at Ibrox. Um, so really, the pressure is on them. I've got one point of order, so it wouldn't guarantee third at that point because Hibs could still potentially catch us, but um, we'd pretty much be there. Um, yeah. so it's an opportunity it would be
0: mathematically do... possible but they're then going to have to beat Celtic Rangers and yeah. a bit of um,
2: it's an opportunity to do it on their patch which we should really really be relishing because it would be so so sweet to do that to put them out of contention for once and for all on their patch would be magnificent and tr- sure it would be better if there were a couple of thousand Aberdeen fans that witness it happening but Um, that surely should just be act as another incentive, another spur for the Aberdeen team on Saturday but I am concerned clearly about the level of that performance on Saturday and I'm also concerned about the fact that we're going to have three potentially guaranteed starters missing um, one of which of no fault of her own, this obviously is the fourth match of Graham Shinney's ban the spurious uh, appeal um, suspension, one of which I would still like some clarification on, with regards to Ross McCrory's surgery, and um, the sequence of events that led up to that, because I don't think Robson took any questions on that, or certainly not any that were, that were broadcast at last week's press conference. So I would, I would really be keen for a clarification on that, and then, yeah. I, it felt as if Lopez was carrying some kind of injury from the previous week for most of the game on Saturday, but that's maybe just because Hibbs dealt with him very well and very comfortably. And But he did feel as if there was a strain there waiting to happen and it just went when he was chasing a ball in the second half. So we, I, I fear that we're in a good couple of weeks uh, recovery window. And that means obviously missing the rest of the season, given we've only got uh, a couple of weeks left now.
0: Yeah. And Martin, given that we we are starting to further stretch our playing resources, I think there will be. While, while I do agree with Richard, there's no reason why we shouldn't be approaching this game with a view to trying to win it. I think it will also necessitate a, a little bit of a canny approach, but it, I think what's more important is it's obviously a great opportunity for us to go and try and win the game but obviously there 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 is that added aspect that hearts they're going to have a uh a, the overwhelming majority of the support in the stadium they they know they are in a situation where they really do have to win again as we're saying mathematically it's not necessary but in in all reality they're they're, they're going to need to win if they want to get third place and given again this this may well come back to back to back me in the bum as well but again the, the 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 mark of the team over the last few months is when they've performed really badly like they did on Saturday against Hibs what they're not doing is conceding multiple goals early in the game and, and playing themselves out of the game and i wonder that with a bit of a canny approach to that the longer the longer the game goes the more that you sometimes you know Restricting the allocation to your opposition can work against you because if you're suddenly frustrating your opponents, the longer that game goes, the more their own supporters might start to get on the back of them. And it may well be a style of game that ends up suiting this current Aberdeen team, where if we hold out long enough, that team will have to push out more and more. And we are we are the kind of team that seems to enjoy countering teams and, and taking advantage of that. So it may well in best case scenario, that might be exactly the kind of scenario that plays into our advantage.
1: Well it definitely will. I mean, you know, I suspect there'll be a sneaky feeling from within the hearts camp, as well as within their support, probably more than a sneaky feeling within the support, that they'll be you no, know, they'll be seeing obviously the two the two players we know are definitely missing. You no, know, they'll be they'll have seen obviously the inj- the, the stories of the, the, the injury the hamstring injury to Duke that he's maybe going to be missing. Um, you know they'll be they'll be looking at that they'll be looking at the fact that they leathered us down there early in the season and they'll be they'll be super confident they'll be no they'll be looking they'll, the fans especially be thinking they're going to turn us over no bother when we go down there so and and they're going to like i said they're going to have a big they'll have the, you know, the big home crowd Um we've only got the six the 600s which you know is another is another issue altogether but again you go down there you don't necessarily try it set out just to frustrate them but you know they have they have to come out they have to try and uh, try and attack they have to try and win the game and we've been we have been very you know very good defensively lately um you know
2: i'm just thinking back though to the home game and the way in which we we won that was by hitting them hard hitting them early you know with three goals up within what 18 minutes or something it was it was really the textbook for how I would like us to approach Saturday now you're not going to get that every game of course you're not but I, I just feel that it's there for us, I, I, and I, I think we've got to go and grasp the opportunity. It's not a case of sitting back and hoping that we get a draw and then no. maybe sealing it with another draw on Wednesday night. Go and grab it; it's there for you.
1: No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And um, like you said, heart, the hearts are hearts are no. They're no great shakes. No, they're not. A, they're not a great side. They're nothing to be feared. Um, you know, and so I do think that. I do think, like, you no, know, we can, we can, we can beat them. Um, it's just, you no know, obviously the negativity, the negativity and the worry comes from you know whether whether Duke's going to be able be fit and able to play. But you know, like I said, they're they're going to what I think they're going to come out and they're going to try and do what we did to them up here, and they're going to try and you know, I think they'll try and attack early because they have to because they have to win the game as as you both said, um, and I think that play that plays in our hands where we can handle. You know, defensively we can't handle teams. Pollock and McDonald have been really good. Yeah, we've got concerns. You no, know, concerns obviously at the right back position, but Scales has been Scales has been you no know, pretty strong lately as well. So, um, I I really don't think there's anything to worry about. All we have to you know, we have to worry about you no know, not, not conceding any penalties because that's the only way Shanklin ever scores goals nowadays. <laughs> but but there's there I mean, no again tempting fate and all that kind of stuff. But they aren't you no know, they aren't anything to really be be afraid of. And yes, we've got yes, we've got a depleted squad with some injuries, but we we still do have some very good players, um, and I think that we've got enough good players that if we go there and approach it the right way, and obviously we need a we need a complete one eighty from the, the level of the level of performance and to, uh, ability wise on Saturday, that we we again, we have nothing to fear and we will be able to get a positive result and by positive I mean three points, putting that putting them to sleep and that'll be it,
0: which I think is the perfect positive note on which to end tonight's podcast. So I will just take this opportunity to thank once again uh, my two fellow podcasters, Martin Clunas. Thanks once again. Thank you. And the ever-singular Richard Hay. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Thank you. That's better.
0: See, a shambles of a start, but much like Aberdeen teams of recent times, we've managed to shore up, keep a clean sheet, and get a positive result at the end. Uh, all that's left for me is to say, <laughs> we'll leave that to the, we'll leave that to the the, the listening public to decide. Um, anyway, thanks again for listening, and as ever, come on, you rats.